Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. Listen to us live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. or at any time from the comfort of your computer at blogtalkradio.com slash knowitall. Here at Know It All, we have candid conversations about education issues that impact your community and real-life solutions to education issues that you face every single day. We aim to make you a know-it-all about education law, policy, and practice. I am your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC. I'm a civil rights attorney with ex- expertise in the laws that require equity in public education. Keep up with me at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Today's show, we're talking about student misbehavior. Student misbehavior in school rises to the level of criminal conduct only on very rare occasions. Lately, though, and increasingly, student misbehavior and even instances of misunderstanding between staff and students are referred to law enforcement officers and the juvenile justice system to handle. My guest today is the wonderfully energetic and incredibly passionate Judge Stephen C. Teske, Chief Judge of the Juvenile Court of Clayton County, Georgia. Judge Teske has developed an innovative protocol that brings together key stakeholders, educators, law enforcement officers, students, and families to reduce law enforcement referrals from schools and that has been shown to actually increase academic achievement. Good morning, Judge Teske. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Well, good morning to you, Allison. It's my pleasure to be with you and your audience. So tell us, Judge, how did you decide to address student discipline coming from the schools? Well, uh, what what I did is is you know once I realized that and I looked at the data because I've been on the bench since 1999 and I noticed that we had experienced since placing uh, police on campus back in '95 and '96, um, '95 in high schools, '96 in middle schools that we had over a 2,000 percent increase in referrals to the juvenile court of which 92 percent of those. Uh, were misdemeanor minor offenses, uh, mostly including disrupting public school, school fights, disorderly conduct. When I say disorderly conduct, because I know your audience is coming from different varying jurisdictions with different definitions, but, you know, the mouthing off and using foul language in a threatening way um, and whether to other, toward other students and teachers. And then also obstruction of, of justice in Georgia. Uh, I'm talking about the misdemeanor type uh, where they, a police officer on campus says, you know, sees Johnny out of class, says, come here, and Johnny runs off. So it's failure to obey the lawful command of a police officer. But the point is, is that 92% of those were misdemeanor offenses. And it was clogging up, you know, my court because most of these cases were not delinquent kids. And what I mean is these were not the kids that that scare me within the perspective of being delinquent. Now, you know, the incident on campus may have scared in the moment the teacher, okay, but everything is relative. In terms of the role and purpose of the juvenile court, our job is to protect the community from those kids who scare us versus those kids who make us mad. Um, and, and I was realizing that as these referrals went up, you know, we back then had that traditional process, as most courts do, and that is you put the kids on probation. And that watered down the effectiveness of our probation officers in watching the high-risk, scary kids. So the bottom line is I just simply use my influence as a, as a juvenile judge in the community, and I convene the, the, the stakeholders 
that are relevant to this issue. For example, the chiefs of police who have officers on school campus, um, our school superintendent. And I also decided to bring uh, on board our social services, our mental health, um, you know, because they may, you know, I, I thought, well, maybe they may have something to offer in terms of how to deal with these kids in lieu of arresting them. And so I started, uh, you know, I, I started that way, Allison, you know, just bringing everyone together just to talk about the issue. Mm-hmm. Will you explain what your protocol is? Yes. Um, you know, it, it took us nine months. Um, so, you know, it wasn't quick and easy. I, I could have made it quick and easy because in Georgia I do have the authority in the law uh, I, I, I certify all complaints as, you know, whether they should go on formally on a petition. So I could have done a standing order that said, you know, I'm no longer going to certify these type of complaints coming in from the schools. But I also knew in doing that, you know, if I did that, then um, I, I'm going to hurt us in the long run in, in, in a couple ways. Number one, I would... I would lose the benefit of having everybody at the table and providing their their expertise, uh, like from education, from law enforcement, social services, mental health, and so on. Um, so with that, um, I was also concerned that I didn't want anything built on my name only, okay? That is, I did not want to do a standing order that when that day would come that it was time for me to leave the bench, that the next person coming in could just simply wipe out my order because I'm no longer the chief judge. Mm-hmm. I wanted to change culture here in Clayton County. I, I, wanted, I wanted people to come together, talk about it, and believe in the product that they would develop. So that meant it would have to take time. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was a learning curve for all of us, including me, all right? And, and I'll talk about that, but, but the, the short of it, at the end of the nine months, um, we ended up with a product that went like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the first offense, okay, well, first of all, we defined what offenses would be included in this, and, and, we, and we called them focus acts. And, in fact, if you want... You know, uh, anyone in the audience who wants to actually look at this, you could go probably the easiest way to get it if you were to go to the Annie E. Casey Foundation website, which is at www.aecf.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you get to their website, uh, look at, uh, go and click on JDAI, the Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative. And once you go there, you'll see a icon uh, for JDAI Help Desk. And then just look up Clayton County and you can download uh, our school agreement, our protocol. Um, now, back to this, uh, we, we, we put in there the Focus X, and they, that would be almost the 92% I described earlier. And then what would happen is that during the school year, on the first offense, uh, the police would give them a warning, okay? And, and, and we provided the warnings, um, and, and, you know, and then in these, and you could download the warnings as well at the same website for Annie, at Annie Casey. And you, 
in the first generation, it, it had, well, they would check warning and a copy would go to a parent, copy would go in the student's file, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, the second, on the second one, uh, during the same year, then a referral would be made, and they would refer the student to uh, a school conflict workshop, which was put on by the juvenile court, not at the juvenile court, but the school system provided us the space. Again, we were trying to avoid uh, the labeling uh, theory. That is, we didn't want them to come to court, uh, you know, try, uh, promoting that maybe they were a bad kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would go there to the school system, my staff, and and for two hours, and the, and the parents would have to attend, or a parent would have to attend, or guardian, and um, and it would involve role playing, how to handle conflict, um, school uh, related laws, um, you know, how you could get in trouble at school. Um, so things of that nature. We had already been doing that for two years before we went into developing this protocol with some very good results. I mean, we only had a 9% recidivist rate, um, you know, among these students. And you were uh, doing that at the court or in the schools? In before? the schools. Okay. Yeah, we didn't want kids coming to the court because, you remember, the whole our, our, our perspective was, was to avoid labeling them as bad. Right. And so, you know, I wouldn't want them to come to court because then you risk, well, my kid has to go to court today. Even though it's not a formal court proceeding, it's still the building. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so we, we kept it, you know, in a safe, uh, sterile environment, the school system that they're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so then on the third offense, it was kind of like a, a three strikes you're out, but in a good way, then you could refer uh, uh, the child to juvenile court on a complaint. Now, at, this would this would only be during the year. The the next year you'd start all over, so it doesn't accumulate. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and um, so you can't build up these strikes against the the kid over the period of time the kid is in the school system. Right. Uh, and, and, and so with that, um, you know we. Uh, now, let me just say this: the the protocol, when you when when you look at it, it hasn't. We haven't modified it since 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the practice of dealing with kids from the police has changed, mm-hmm. it's become more. Some folks will say liberal. Um, I call it more discretionary. Um, what's happened is that over a period of time, as the police, uh, you know, stopped making all these arrests, they went through a cognitive shift in how they looked at uh, what they were doing or what they had been doing versus now the way they were behaving with the kids. Now, so, so there were some very interesting dynamics going on. Um, what was happening is that before the protocol, the police were arresting kids left and right. I mean, you could imagine. I mean, we went from 49 referrals the year before police were put on campus to mm-hmm. 1,400, okay, in like. 2003. Mm-hmm. All right? Now, so, I mean, 14, I mean, that's, that was almost, you know, one-third of, our, of all the filings in 2004, okay, Right. Or 2003. Now, ha- having said that, you know, the police did not spend a lot of time on campus. 
Um, they were, I mean, they went in there like, uh, you know, gangbusters, um, and they just arrested kids left and right. In fact, my intake would often joke about how how they got to know the SRO so well because they spent most of their time at intake than they did down the campus mm. looking kids, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, why is that significant? I mean, think about it for a moment. You know, take a look at the, the, the recent tragedy in Newtown, Sandy right. Hook, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you put police on campus, I mean, you have to ask yourself, why do you want police on campus? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you, you have to define clear objectives, okay? Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to promote police on campus. I'm not here, okay, to, uh, you know, to argue against police on campus. Mm-hmm. What I am saying, okay, is that if a locality decides to put police on campus, be careful. Right. You know, make sure there are very clear objectives, a mission statement, and guidelines like a protocol that we have here in Clayton County, mm-hmm. um, so that police do not find themselves caught in the middle uh, between administrators, um, or, or you know, in a tussle with administrators who, you know, understandably can get very upset with some of these kids, and because you know they have a, a duty to protect the campus and. And and they'll they'll get that kid who makes them really mad and and use the police officer, you know, to get the kid off of campus. And and I know this was happening because the police confessed it to me. I had administrators confess that to me. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, when we finally got there, you know, to the point in this nine month of collaborative interaction, it, it became extremely honest. Okay, because we were all we all reached a point of feeling very comfortable with one another, but. Back to the dynamics and, and the changing of the dynamics here is that, um, you know, the the police realize now that I'm spending, and, I, and now what, what I'm describing to you is based on the police as they were surveyed and what they shared with us right. after a couple years. And that is, they said, you know, now that we're on campus most of the day, Instead of twiddling our thumbs, we had to get together and decide how are we going to change up the way we do policing on campus to be more effective. Mm. Okay, mm. and so what? And, and, and let me. This is to their, you know, credit. Okay, and also in part to some of the administrators too. Mm-hmm. The police, uh, the SROs in Clayton County, got together and said, "You know what we're going to do? Uh, we're going like one SRO, Bob Gardner." Uh, he said, you know, I look at it this way. Uh, my school, you know, has sheep and wolves. You know, most of the students are sheep. By far, most of them are sheep. I mean, they make noise. You can hear them out in the pasture. They can get on your nerves sometimes, okay? Uh-huh. But only a very, very small percentage of the kids are wolves, you know, mm-hmm. the predators. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would give an example. He said, no, I'm on a campus of... 1,200 kids, and at the most, only 25 are wolves, okay? Mm. But yet we spent, we were spending more time arresting the sheep. Mm. And as a result, we were really not focusing on strategies to identify the wolves or to deal with the wolves in the most effective way, mm-hmm. okay? We were being distracted. We allowed ourselves to be distracted. The other problem 
is that things were getting by us, okay, mm-hmm. uh, from the wolves because we were off the campus quite a bit. So let me tie us back to Newtown. Think about this. You know, all this discussion that's going on now regarding, you know, maybe one of the ways to deal with school safety is put, you know, police on all the campuses or some armed trained guards or whatever. Okay, you know, I'm not going to get into that discussion. I'm a judge, okay? You know, uh, I'm not going to get into the politics of that. However, you know, I do have my experiences that if you choose to do that, there there may be some very serious unintended consequences, all right, when you don't develop a mission and do not specially train those police to say, this is what you're here for, and this is what you're not here for, mm-hmm. okay? Because if you decide to take up what you're not here for, then you're going to end up back in the Clayton County days where you're arresting 92% misdemeanors, spend most of your time down at juvenile court so that when that person, God forbid, should it happen again, comes on campus with a gun, there's going to be more injuries and deaths than there would have otherwise been had you had a police officer on campus. I mean, how tragic would it be if this were a middle school or high school where maybe there was an SRO in the community, Mm-hmm. This deranged armed man goes on campus and shoots up the place, and then the media, some reporter gets smart enough to ask the question of the principal or the chief of police. By the way, did you have an officer on campus? Well, we do have an officer assigned there, but uh, he wasn't there or she wasn't there at the time. Well, well, where were? Where was this person? Well, they were down at juvenile court booking a kid. Well, then the next question, if the if they're going to be like a litigator like I was, I'm going to cross-examine and ask the next question, and that is, well, what were they booking this kid for? Uh, well, uh, uh, it was for a school fight. <laughs> really? For a school fight, you had a police officer leave the campus? When the purpose of the police, if you're really going to have them there to protect the campus from deranged killers, give me a break. Mm-hmm. You know, so I hope that that hypothetical can put things in perspective because we realize that. And and so what happened is that the police, because they spent more time on they spend more time on campus now, they began to realize they began to 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 get to know the kids. They started talking to the kids. They started engaging the kids. They started developing you know positive relationships with the kids, which now we call the positive student engagement model for policing here in Clayton County. Uh, The more they got to know the kids and the kids got to know them, the more information started flowing in from the student body about things that were going to happen. I mean, the trust level began to increase from the perspective of the student body toward the police. And I think that's a a mind shift for the police, but it's a mind shift for the student body as well. So when you, I think, you know, a lot of advocates who speak about the school to prison pipeline and who, who speak against putting police in schools have a fear naturally of, um, police being focused in the wrong direction with, you know, their, their very kind of law enforcement, um, keeping control of potential criminality um, mindset. And that that focus is, especially for children of color, 
um, is primarily on the students, you know, and, and on the sheep, as you said. Uh, and so I think, you know, and I certainly understand that the, the fear of putting more police officers in schools who would be who would have their guns trained in the wrong direction toward the the schools or toward the students that they they should be there protecting. Um, do you in in defining the offenses um, that could lead you know the first offense to a warning, second offense to referral, and then third offense um, or second offense to the the school system conflict workshop, and then the third offense to a uh, juvenile justice referral. Are you also defining um, how police officers who are in schools can be focused on protecting the environment and protecting school culture and um, being a part of the nurturing system for for children who developmentally really need um, adult support and adult role models in order to feel safe and in order to feel as though they can trust the adults with whom they're interacting enough to share information as as you have described are you as as you're defining offenses are you also defining how officers can work within the system to protect all of the children uh yes in in, in fact this you know this positive student engagement model for policing is just it doesn't rely on the protocol itself the, the protocol was just a mechanism back in 2004 uh, to to get us on the pathway uh, to developing better ways of 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 addressing uh, behaviors on on school campus and it required a a, a collective effort. Um, the, the nice thing about the protocol uh, is is that we avoided blaming behavior. Um, that we realized that this was a systemic issue and that these. Um, the ineffective uh, system that we had in place was driving the behaviors of adults to treat kids uh, poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so let me be specific and, and answer your question about what are some ways, okay, mm-hmm. that our police are now handling things. For example, our school police, uh, all school police, have to be trained in crisis intervention. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Second, um, they go through um, an annual and as-needed training. So, for example, uh, a week before school starts, all SROs uh, come in for an entire day of training that is provided by both the juvenile court and the school system, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, That training, you know, consists of, uh, first of all, going over the protocol, uh, the it, it goes uh, we 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 also teach adolescent development uh, why kids are wired differently than adults um, you know we go through the specifics of the ad- adolescent brain research about the frontal lobe of the brain which filters emotion into logical responses and that it's not developed till age 25 that kids are neurologically wired to do stupid things and that. You know they're they're still under neurological construction, and so you know if if they're if they're still being hardwired, then what does that mean to us as adults? Okay, that we want them to be hardwired in a positive environment, not a negative environment. And when you handcuff a kid for a school fight or 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 being disorderly or or having whatever issues, okay, that that's driving the adult crazy, 
okay? Mm-hmm. We must stop and ask ourselves the question, even though the kid is doing that as chronically and, and certainly has issues that need to be addressed, the, the question is how do we need to address those issues and is handcuffing the kid, okay, taking this punitive approach, which we know in the research doesn't reduce recidivism. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, punishment alone increases recidivism, worsens the kid's behavior. And I know that challenges a lot of people, but I can't. The fact of the matter is they can Google it if they have issues with it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I'm not going to argue with folks who just want to stay there on, you know, when, when the research is very adamant. I, I'm, I learned a long time ago, you know, not to argue with a brick wall. Um, <laughs> and it's best that they don't argue with a brick wall because I'm yeah. now the brick wall, too, and I realize that. And uh, but, but nonetheless... But it's a brick wall. On on good solid research. Yes, yeah, on on child research and mm-hmm. and the other thing too is that we that the that that the police the the agencies who decide the police to go in must identify police officers who want to do it. Okay, mm-hmm. um, we got away uh, from because of because of this protocol and what the police on campus did on their own. Okay. Um, which led to very positive results, such as reducing uh, serious weapons on campus by 70 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have very very uh, few incidents of serious weapons. Now, knock on wood, you know how things go sometimes. I mean, everyone is always subject to something serious happening. Okay, but but you know our job is to reduce those risks. And we you know the fact of the matter remains is that guns. Uh, and um, you know, guns and and knives um, and box cutter knives and razors and now all these things that were just unbelievably at a high rate coming to the schools before 2004 have now dropped 70 percent. And these are and it's not because the police have discretion. You got to understand here in Georgia, those weapons I just mentioned are by state law, must be charged. There is a state zero-tolerance law for which this agreement, this protocol, cannot change. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that begs the question. It, it, if the police do not have discretion in those offenses, how do you explain a 70% decrease? Well, the police explain it. The kids are telling them before the, the, these incidents happen on campus that they're going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, so they then go out and deal with it before it comes in. They will go out to the kids' home. Talk to the parents, okay, you know, and stop this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so now, now with that, bear in mind, back to you also have to have an officer who, who has a mindset, who's mindful. Because in the old day, and still around in many jurisdictions today who still operate on just arresting kids, you know, fellow police officers on the street, the road officers, called the SRO, school resource officers, they'll either call them kitty cops or SRO to them stands for sorry road officer, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 my, and the appeal that I make to police who may still be stuck on, well, I still think I have to make an arrest if I see a school fight. Really? Really? I mean, you mean to tell me you went through your 8, 10, whatever weeks of training to be a certified peace officer, to qualify on the gun range, they go through mechanics of arrest. And you have to understand, folks, I was a certified peace officer myself, 10 years on the streets of Atlanta, okay? I've made many arrests. I've seen a lot of stuff, okay? 
So I've been there and I've done that. And I, I tell you what, I, I can speak firsthand and say, you know what, if I was put in that position after all that training and, and, and now I'm relegated to arresting kids on school fights, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, uh, that would be humiliating for me. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and so instead, our school police are now credited in our county with solving more crimes, including murder, than any other division of the police department. Okay, because kids are not only sharing uh, things that that are about to happen on campus, but you need to understand something, folks. It's like Lieutenant Mark uh, Richards, uh, uh, a a former veteran SRO and the supervisor of the SRO unit, said, you know, uh, schools are a microcosm of the community, he said. If you want to know what's going on in the community, talk to the kids. But you've got to get them to talk to you. Because, you know, what happens over the weekend the kids are bringing it to school Monday morning, and they're talking about it. But they're not going to just open up to adults if they don't trust the adults. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we have example after example after example of, of trap houses, that is where, how, you know, drugs were being sold out of, you know, all based on information coming from students. Now, of course, students are never put on a search warrant. Um, sometimes police or school resource officers will walk away from information that they've received because they haven't been able to corroborate it independently. Uh, you know, they you, you you cannot expect kids to trust you if you go ahead and throw their name around. Um, they don't even risk putting it down as an on, uh, as a confidential source. Um, if they can't independently corroborate, they'll walk away from it. The the, the bottom line is okay is that. Let, let me put it this way. You know, let's look at it this way. This past year at our annual – well, in fact, I have training coming up. I'm looking at my calendar right now. I have training coming up on February 18th from 9 to noon just because it was as needed. It turned out that we had, like, four new SROs come on board recently, okay, mm-hmm. uh, in the new year. So okay. we don't wait till the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, they call me up. Myself and the superintendent of schools uh, and the uh, chief of police or the head of the SRO unit, really. And so we that was the week that school's out, okay? And so uh, we're, we're having all the SROs come in on the morning of, of the 18th. But here's the thing. At the training, an annual training, at the end of the day, we have SROs give testimony about their experiences the, the prior year. This, let me just give you a short, if I may, Allison, two examples. Uh-huh. For example, let me okay. give you, one would be um, uh, one one of the SROs at Drew High School was sharing about how uh, she got a call of a child just I mean just lost it in the classroom. It was mm-hmm. in the morning time, cussing out the teacher. I mean, from the teacher's perspective, I, I mean, if I were the teacher, it'd scare the heck out of me. Um, so she goes down there. Now in the old days. Before the protocol, the SRO would have just cuffed the kid, okay, and mm-hmm. just put the kid in the patrol car and bring the kid down the juvenile court. What they do now is that, no, she handled the child. She put her hands on the child because the child wouldn't come. She refused. She had to take the child, you know, take the child on down to her office, sat the child down, because, you know, these, they use crisis intervention skills. Mm-hmm. 
And come to find out after talking, this child had no breakfast, had no dinner the night before, okay? Right. Um, this child really did not have, you know, a history of, of doing this, okay? Um, come to find out there were concerns about the, the supervision of the child, uh, the, you know, after following up with the teacher or other teachers, okay, mm-hmm. you know, that there were some issues about, you know, how the child was dressed during wintertime, you know, so forth and so on. So we so we now have this big question, is there some neglect going on here? Right. Okay? What's going on? So, you know, instead, the SRO took the child to the cafeteria, fed the child, okay, uh, talked to the principal who talked to the teacher, let the child back in the class, child was fine, no problem. Referral was made to follow up on on the home, okay? Uh-huh. Another story. Now, that's just the light, that's the light version. Let me give you a heavy version of what uh-huh. happened last year. Right. Um, over at Morrow High School, the SRO gets another call. Again, it was a young lady. Um, this time she's throwing the chairs at the teacher, threatening to kill the teacher, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So now on this one, she had to come in. She did have to, to cuff the child, okay, Right. because uh, she was so uh, unmanageable. But instead of putting the child in the patrol car, took the child down to the office, calmed the child down, took the cuss off the child. It took Now this took about an hour and a half, okay, but using crisis intervention skills, the child finally broke down, stating she was being raped every week by her mother's living boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know about y'all who's listening, but, you know, unless you've lived that and you've been raped, okay, you know, and you're 15 years old, um, you know, I, I think you might want to cut her a little slack. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, maybe you might want to stop and ask why. And that's how it started. This SRO said it just started me by looking at her with a very calm voice and saying, Susie, why would you do and say such horrible things to this teacher? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, when are we going to stop and slow down and just start asking the right questions? I think that's a, that's a very, and, and I saw you give very powerful testimony um, on December 12th before the Senate during the first ever Senate hearing on the school to prison pipeline. Um, and, and I think, you know, you could have heard a pen drop when you told that story. And I think it's a very powerful um, story about why we have to stop and listen to children. I, I want to play a clip. Um, the phone lines are now open for listeners who want to call in and ask questions or provide comments. Our, our call-in number is 347-202-0911. Again, that's 347-202-0911. I'm going to play a couple of clips. The first is a student uh, named Jamisha, and, and she's speaking on – it's a very, very short clip, but she's speaking on exactly what you've touched on, and that is that – Children may be going through something, and um, you know, as you've said, children developmentally 
um, aren't finished. They're not done baking until they're about 25 years old. And so um, we have to, as adults, really stop and and ask questions of, of children and get them to learn to express themselves effectively. And so Jamisha is a student in Chicago, and she's speaking with um, a group called Fearless Leading by the Youth and the Juvenile Justice Think Tank. Let's listen. Yeah. What do you think we should be doing? I think you should talk to the youth and try to see where, where their pain is coming from or what, what do they do to make them get in trouble as much because they probably have stuff on their mind and stuff. And you just take it as they just been, the people just take it as them just being an ignorant or disrespectful kid when they probably have more problems than that. So I think you shouldn't just put, they just should just put days on them or get them suspended for something they probably don't know what's going on. It's probably a, a record behind that. And I think what Jamisha is saying is is very compelling, you know, and once we take a step back and we take a deep breath and we recognize that children are children and they're human beings and they have to be treated as such and we have to, in everything that we do with children, make sure that we are encouraging their development in a healthy way. Um, you know, exactly what you said, once children understand that they can trust the adult who's addressing them, then who knows what we can uncover and how we can really build toward um, creating positive citizens who want to contribute and who want to give back in the very same way. Um, I want to play one more clip, and this is a student named Devante, who is also from Chicago and is also speaking with the Fearless Leading by the Youth Group and the Juvenile Justice Think Tank. Let's listen to Devante. My name is Devante, and I'm 18 years old, and I'm a student at Chicago State University. Some different things I've seen, I've seen a lot of youth being locked up for nonviolent crimes. I've seen youth being beaten. They shouldn't be treated this, this sort of way. We should remember that our youth are still youth. It, does, it definitely doesn't um, contribute anything positive to society. It's just showing that if someone uh, is bad, you beat them. And that's, not, that's definitely not going to help our youth in any sort of way. That's just going to teach them when someone's bad, you beat them too. It's going to just continue the cycle of violence that's just going to keep going and going and going and just never end. I think that we should, that they should let youth know that fighting is not okay, that violence is not okay, and that assaulting another person is not okay. But we should remember that our youth are still human beings. And that we that they should not be treated like cold-blooded killers after they got into a fight or after they were selling drugs or doing drugs or something like that. Another thing that should change within the schools too, they should add more act, um, extracurricular activities to keep their to keep our kids off the streets because and they should um, advertise these extracurricular activities in a positive way. They shouldn't just throw them out there and say, if you do it, you do it. If you don't, you don't. They should want, they should try to push our kids and motivate them to want to get into these extracurricular activities. I think that what they could definitely do with the police situation, there are some police officers that are gang affiliated and that are selling drugs and that are being brutal to, um, they are being brutal to our youth. Um, I think they should have background checks in more solid background checks on these police officers because a lot of them are just 
Like, they sign up to be a police officer, and hey, that's the end of the story. And I think that other police officers need to stop taking the words of police officers as if they're the word, as if it's the word of God or something, because some of these police officers make up ridiculous stories about some of the youth and about some of what um, these people who they stop on the side of the road and they try to drive away, they'll try to, they'll, they'll shoot them and kill them and shoot them down. Some of them, they just tell these ridiculous stories and it's, it's a problem. So we should make sure that those people are not in our police force. Judge Teske, this is a, a significant undercurrent, um, this idea of mistrust between communities, particularly communities of color, um, and and law enforcement. And, you know, I, I was in the audience during the, the Senate hearing, and um, I did cringe a little when I, I heard you answer yes to a question from one of the senators about whether there should be police in schools. And But I understand, and... and I think that my work at the Department of Justice and since then has certainly made me lean toward um, saying no, absolutely not, to more police in schools because of this this undercurrent, this mistrust between communities of color and and police officers and just the idea that within that context there could be more police, more of a police presence and and more police equipment in schools that perpetuate this idea of criminality um, in and among children, particularly black children and, and Latino children in this country is very unsettling. And so, um, I, but I will admit that, you know, that is probably, to, to say no, absolutely not to police in schools is probably the easiest thing, um, and the easiest thing is not always the best thing. And so on the, the spectrum of political will, you know, with no police in schools on one end and police armed to the teeth in every school at the other end, um, I think that your protocol is, is probably in the middle and is um, is middle ground for advocates and, and others um, who are are currently debating this issue. What are your thoughts? Well, um, yeah, and and of course, you know, uh, keep in keep in mind that because I'm I'm looking right now at the uh, United States te- uh, at the uh, Senate testimony. They sent me a transcript, mm-hmm. and you know, just keep in mind that uh, you know when Senator Durbin had asked the question, um, you know, my answer was qualified. It was. Relative, you know, his question was was around, um, you know, targeted my protocol. You know, mm-hmm. um, now th- my response was qualified that, as I said earlier, you know, in my presentation here, that, you know, I, if if you put police on campus, they must, you know, meet criteria, and there must be a written protocol. There must be guide. There there must be uh, those restrictions, um, so that you you develop a a type of specialized policing on campus that is positive towards students. Okay, see, here's the thing. What I offer depends upon where everybody is in the spectrum on the ideological scale. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in the far right. And you think the kids ought to be, you know, regardless or, or for the most part, should be treated that way punitively. 
you're not going to like what I have to say, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're on the far left, okay, and you don't want police on campus at all, you're not going to quite like everything I have to say. <laughs> Therefore, I feel I'm doing my job. Um, you know, because, um, you know, it's like I say sitting on the bench, um, especially when I sit as a, a superior court judge doing domestic relations and deciding child custody and divorces, usually um, there's a saying amongst us judges when both parties walk out of the courtroom unhappy with the judge, you know, the judge has been very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, the point in all of that is that um, we have to be careful with extremes, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, we must ask ourselves, because, you know, the knee-jerk reaction can go both ways, all right? Mm-hmm. We, we must ask ourselves individually, why do I want this, okay? Okay, you may have a very good reason for that. And, and usually, you know, and even those on the far right, they want safer schools. Well, who? no one's going to disagree with that, okay? Right. Really, the devil's in the details, right? I mean, it's about the means. How do you get there, okay? What's the best way? What's the most win-win solution to this, okay? And I'm not talking about compromises, by the way, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, this is not about compromise. This is about understanding everybody, where they are, their needs. And now, and I will tell you, I, keep in mind, in humanity, there are just some folks out there that will never budge from their position, whether it be way to the far right, way to the far left, while their reasons may be, while their 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 goals may be good, their means are are, are questionable, will never budge. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and I I accept that. All I can tell you is this. All right, you know y'all y'all can do whatever you want to do. All I know is I live in Clayton County. My school arrests are down 83%. Mm. Our graduation rates have increased 24% overall, okay? Our juvenile crime rate has gone down in correlation with that. So you know what? You can argue all you want way on this side. You can argue all you way on that side, but I ain't going to stop doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I I just offer this as, you know, food for thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do agree with what... Uh, both these young people, both these students stated, I, I, they, I, I believe they they support one thing, and that is positive student engagement. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care whether you're a teacher, an administrator, uh, a parent, or a police officer. See, the real issue here is not who you are, okay, in terms of the position or title. It's about what you're about. It's about your personality, it's about who you put in that position. Why should we care whether it's a police officer? What we should be caring about is who that police officer is in terms of their relationship to children. Because I don't give a hoot and heck for a police officer or an administrator or a parent, for that matter, that beats up on kids. Hmm. And I don't mean phys- – it doesn't have to be physically beating up. It's emotion- When you handcuff a kid for a school fight and go as far as transporting them down – the juvenile court intake, when they're not really a delinquent child, just because you commit a delinquent act doesn't make you necessarily a delinquent child. And I think if I were to ask for a show of hands on that question, most of us would say, yeah, we committed some type of delinquent act when we were a kid. I did, and I didn't have a handcuff put on me. 
Right. You know, but the bottom line is is that we must phrase the questions, okay? And mm-hmm. and and I admit, you know, Allison, I, I admit, you know, that's why I don't really want to get into I, I, I just don't want I will never say, you will never hear me say that I will advocate for more more police on campus. That is not my place. I am not a policymaker, okay? Mm-hmm. I am a policy influencer. If you want to consider putting police on campus, then I'm going to be the biggest cautionary person you will hear. Okay? I will I will be there to say, "Okay, folks, if you want to do that, then you better be careful because you could end up seriously hurting kids if you do that." You need to do it the right way. The problem with us sometimes, Allison, is that we want a quick fix. Mm-hmm. And so we throw police on. That's what we did back in the 90s with our Clayton County police. We threw police on campus. We didn't train them. And look what we got. Over 2,000% increase in school referrals. Most of them misdemeanor offenses. And while this was happening, our graduation rate slowly went down to an all-time low in 2003 of 58%, you know. So I don't think, I I don't think, I mean, we're not disagreeing here at all. We're not disagreeing. It's just a matter of of what that locality wants to do, but they better be careful how they do it. It's about the the details here. So we have two questions that have been emailed, and you can email me, allison at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Um, one question is about the protocol. How do schools or community members or parents who are interested in the protocol and want it implemented in their schools go about doing that? Oh, well, I tell you what, I, I'm going to let me give you my email address. Okay. And, and then, then I'll elaborate just a moment on that. Uh, my email address is Steve. Uh, Teske, T-E-S-K-E, at C-O dot Clayton, and that's C-L-A-Y-T-O-N dot G-A dot U-S. And I think, Allison, you have some other means of communication that you're you're, you're putting out there, I think, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for, so, and that's fine. Uh, I make myself very accessible. Um, and I would be glad to entertain emails. Uh, and with the help of my staff, my chief, I have a chief of staff, a court administrator. I have a juvenile detention alternative coordinator, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, we work together in, in, in providing uh, technical assistance. Um, let, me, let me share with you that um, there's a number of ways this can happen. It can, it can happen informally uh, just by, you know, conversation, mm-hmm. uh, going back and forth, um, or uh, depending upon uh, your lo- locality and whether or not you want to get into developing a protocol, getting the stakeholders together, you can get, you know, I, I would suggest maybe contact your your, ju- your chief juvenile judge there um, and get the information together. You can Google my name and come up with a whole bunch of articles. In fact, there's a you can download um, one, uh, one of my e-reader books called Reform Juvenile Justice Now. Uh, it's only $4.99. I don't get the money. Uh, I, I donate that back to juvenile justice. Um, 
and um, it's not like it's going to be a bestseller anyway. But <laughs> but the point is, is it's it's for it's for it's, it's for things like this with a targeted audience is very interesting. <laughs> There's a chapter in there on school to prison pipeline. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so. Um, you can get put together some of this stuff, and and um, you email me. I can send you a PowerPoint, but okay. you could take it to the juvenile judge there and ask the juvenile judge, "Can you know, would you be willing to look at? Do you think we have an issue like this in our community?" And now remember this: the judge may say, "Well, I don't hardly see those in my court." Well, what that means is is that it well it very well could mean. I don't mean absolutely, but. It, it could mean that, uh, or most likely means that that judge is doing a very good job of diverting those cases away from coming into his or her court. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean, though, that the, the, the number of referrals have stopped coming to the court. It just means that he's done, he or she's done a good job with the intake. Um, but here's the issue. We did that, too, but we wanted to stop the arresting of kids on campus. I felt it, I had a responsibility as a juvenile judge to protect the welfare of all kids in, in my county, and, and that shouldn't wait for them to have to come to court. I felt I should take preventive means. So I would just throw that out there, um, and I'll be glad to, because we, we've helped a number of sites, um, you know, change uh, Birmingham, Alabama, several sites in Connecticut, Indiana, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Kentucky, uh, Louisiana, Wichita, Kansas, Sioux City, Iowa. Uh, we just recently visited Los Angeles, California, a technical assistance team. They're working on developing a protocol there. Uh, Macon, Georgia. Um, you know, so, and I can keep going. But, and, and, you know, there are sites who have taken my writings and my, you know, that, that I have some writings I can send you as well that has a step-by-step. And, and, and they've used that and followed it down in... Um, um, Broward County, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, the judge down there, Elijah Williams, did a, I mean, you want to talk about judicial leadership. He brought all this, he followed my writings and he put everyone together and then he invited me and, and a police officer down there and we spoke to everyone and, you know, they're on their way now. Hmm. Well, we're running short on time. I wonder if in, in the next two minutes, if you could answer this question, um, and this is about, how parents are involved, Um, and I'll just kind of frame it a little bit. If you were to address parents and family members directly um, who have children in school and are concerned for their children's safety and well-being but are also concerned about law enforcement officers in schools who might target their children, how are parents involved in your protocol um, in in helping to define offenses and helping to define how – children and, and law enforcement interact in the school building? Very good question. So I, I know I, I have little time here, so this is it. First of all, in developing the protocol, we did have a parent and youth as stakeholders on, on the committee. All right? uh, what we've done now in lieu of arrest, we have developed what is a system of care. Um, in fact, I'm writing an MOU right now that I have to present to our Board of Commissioners tomorrow to support a resolution in which they are now going to, uh, I'm asking them, the school system and our board of commissioners to provide 
half and half of the funding for a full-time administrator of our system of care. The system of care assess, the school system identifies chronically disruptive kids. They are then referred with their families to the system of care. The system of care has clinical providers uh, who then assess these kids and, and families regarding why is the kid chronically disruptive and develops a treatment plan. Um, we had a pilot program for the last two years. We're on our third year. We identified 90 kids. I mean, the data, I mean, the CAFA scores show an 83% improvement in their behavior. Um, there's been a 23% increase in their reading and um, in math uh, skills. Um, and I can keep going with that, but I don't have enough time. Um, and parents are involved, okay? Um, it, you must have a holistic approach, but it's a positive approach. You know, it's easy to assume, you know, that the parents are bad. We have to be careful. Parents are overwhelmed as well. Parents have their own dynamics and issues going on. Parents need help, okay? You know, it's actually a very, very few, very small percentage of parents who are going to be resistant and belligerent, okay? And, mm -hmm. and some of those are suffering from mental, serious mental health disorders or mental illness and need some serious help. We just got to slow down. Allison, we just got to slow down and take a look at everybody in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Judge Stephen Teske is the Chief Judge of the Juvenile Court of Clayton County, Georgia. Check out his website at www.youthpolicylaw.com. Find him on Twitter, SC Teske Law, and follow him on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you so much for joining me today, Judge Teske. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Allison. It's good to hear your voice again. Thank you so much. You are now officially certified know-it-alls on best practices in student engagement and school policing. Go forth and share. Have a wonderful week. Join us next Tuesday, February 5th, when we will talk about social-emotional learning in schools and how to support students from an emotional perspective and how to support their emotional development and well-being. Our guests will be Dr. Kamal Wright-Cunningham and Dr. Quentin Graham. Remember to follow Know It All, the ABCs of Education on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook. And read my blog at AllisonBrownConsulting.com.